welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. This is a, it's not the ideal way to start sermon series, right? When it's just me in my dining room and my phone, but um, I really do feel that God can use this word that he's placed inside of me as I've been praying about this coming year. I believe that God wants to strengthen his church. He wants to strengthen his people. He wants to strengthen you and me. He wants to bring strength into our spiritual lives. And um, I believe that it's important for the days ahead and for the days that we're living in right now. And um, as I think about that, uh, the, the, the character in scripture that comes to my mind is Daniel. And Daniel is someone who just exemplifies the ability to live in a pagan culture, to live in a difficult time period, a, a time of great shifting, a time of great uncertainty, uh, a time of, of, of um, displacement. <laughs> Uh, that is Daniel's day. That's the day that Daniel lived in. Daniel uh, lived in a time, he was about 17 years old, when he and the rest of his um, country were carried away as captives into Babylon. And and they began just a, a life of complete uncertainty. Not only uncertainty, but also within a kingdom uh, that is almost the quintessential sort of sinful um, culture and society, the society of Babylon. In fact, Babylon was so sinful that it's held up, the spirit of Babylon is held up throughout Scripture as as sort of the root um, of, of all sinful culture. And so Daniel's story in his life is not just historical, it's not just something for us to uh, read about and understand that happened in the past, I believe it's also prophetic. Uh, it's also a bit of a playbook for how Christians, how people of God in every generation can live uh, in obedience to God and influencing their community. Um, and so I believe Daniel is a, is a great picture of that. Uh, I, so I want to do this sermon series starting today, really through the month of January, Um because I want us to look at a man named Daniel who did it well. And so the title of my sermon series is Daniel Did, um, because so many of the, the, the questions that we face, you know, how can I live in the world but not of the world? How can I help my children encounter culture without being influenced by culture? How can I personally live in culture without being influenced by culture? How can I actually influence um, those around me toward God? Uh, well, Daniel did, and uh, I want to look at how Daniel did that. And uh, much of what I'm teaching over the next several weeks is going to be based on the book. If you want to get the book, it's a, so far, as I've been reading it, it's a good book by Chris Hodges called The Daniel Dilemma. And um, he looks at this at at this very dilemma, this this problem of Daniel being a person of faith, being a, uh, a child, if you will, one of the children of God, the people of God, 
living in a pagan culture and doing it well. And so he, he looks at that balance, the balance that uh, is required for Daniel to do that. <laughs> if you can hear that, that's the sound of dogs drinking water out of their bowl. Um, yeah, that's all. That's all that's going on here. Um but uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me um, to Daniel chapter 1, and they may be able to put this up on the screen. Um, but uh, this is the in the NIV version, uh, and this sets up the story for us. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, and Jehoiakim, by the way, um, those of you that were with us over Christmas, is another name for Jeconiah. So the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his little g-god in Babylonia, or Babylon, and put in the treasure house of his little g-god. So um, within basically two verses, Daniel summarizes uh, the fall of the southern, what was known as the southern kingdom, um, uh, pretty much after after the the life of David and Solomon, many of David's uh, sons and grandsons and great grandsons, um, kings that were after him, uh, did not follow God. And if you want to check that out, you can see that in the Old Testament where they rebelled against God, and because of their rebellion, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet trying to warn them. And eventually, uh, the northern, what was known as the northern kingdom, or ten tribes of Israel, they all fell to the Assyrians. And so the Assyrians came in and invaded that, um, that upper part of, of Israel and took them away captive. Meanwhile, the two tribes uh, in the southern kingdom remained. And they remained because they remained true to God. However, that didn't last either. And so God was sending prophets to warn them. And again, they wouldn't listen to God's prophets, and so Babylon was raised up. God raised up Nebuchadnezzar, and he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take the people of Israel, uh, Judah, captive. Okay, And so in verse 3 it says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, and this is going to be important, this guy Ashpenaz, he, uh, Ashpenaz is the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family, and the nobility. So what happened was they, uh, Babylon conquered the southern kingdom of Israel, um, carried away uh, the people of Israel back to Babylon to make them their slaves. However, the king said, uh, he ordered Ashpenaz to select some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Uh, in, in other words, there's some people here um, who are more gifted than just simply field workers, right? And so in verse 4, we understand that these the, these royal family members and or nobility um, uh, people, people from well-to-do families, people that were more educated, um, he, in verse 4 he says, I want you to find young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And so this is, this is, this is, this is the story, right? They're, they're taking um, 
uh, Hebrews. They're t making them slaves. Some of them are going to work in the field. Some of them are going to work as as slaves um, in in the homes of some of the rich uh, Babylonians. Some of them are going to be given as gifts to different dignitaries, so on and so forth. But then some of the more educated ones, uh, the the ones from the royal family, the ones from nobility, the ones who were probably more wealthy, you know what? They've been educated more. They've been trained in, in, in different things. And so we don't need to send them into the field and said they can come serve at the palace. This was probably seen as a, you know, a, a good thing for them. Uh, they, they're going to get treated much better than other slaves. But at the same time, they're also being used for their gifts, right? So these people that don't have physical defects, they're handsome, they have an aptitude for learning, they are already well informed and they're quick to understand. He says, I want them to serve in the king's palace. And it says he was to teach them, and this is important, the language and literature of the Babylonians. And so uh, we would come to learn that Daniel is one of these men. All right. Daniel and his three friends um, are taken captive. And uh, Daniel's probably about 17 at this time. And they are brought into the palace, and they are brought into a system that is intended to train them in what it says right here, the language and literature of the Babylonians. In other words, the king said, look, we got these Hebrews coming in, and we need to train them in our way of thinking so that they can serve us. <laughs> and so really that's, I, I don't, I don't, I, I guess I don't have a full list of my points here today, but, um, if I did, that would be my first point is that, is that the enemy, uh, very much like Nebuchadnezzar, the enemy will use culture to train people <laughs> in order to serve him. And I'm not saying that culture is bad. Uh, I know for years, you know, the church, has a tendency to rail against culture and that darn Hollywood. Um, I'm not saying that culture in itself is bad, but it is oftentimes a tool that the enemy will use with a particular agenda to try to pull us away from serving the living God to serving the enemy. And so Nebuchadnezzar is using the language and literature of Babylon in order to condition these slaves to continue to be slaves, to maintain their status as his slaves. And I really believe that the enemy, Satan, is using much of culture in the same way today, right? He's, he's, he's introducing fads and he's introducing value systems and he's introducing new theologies and new ideologies and new ways of thinking and new political um, ideologies as a way to influence people and to pull them away from God. All of culture, all of secular culture is, it, there's a design to it. There's a strategy to it. It's not accidental. It's not, it's, it feels like it's shifting and flowing because it is shifting and flowing. But there is somebody behind the curtain who's calling the shots, who's pulling the strings, and he has a plan and he has a purpose. And it's not a good plan. It's not a good purpose. Daniel and his friends are brought into the culture of Babylon and the mission given to Ashpenaz who's who's over them is to 
is to indoctrinate them, <laughs> is to indoctrinate them in this new culture. And this new culture is not their friend. This new culture is not uh, for their freedom, not for their prosperity, not for their health. And I believe that right here in America, we're also living in a very similar time, a time frame in which culture is not concerned about your spiritual health. Culture is not concerned about your relational health. Culture is not concerned about your mental health. It is not for you. God is for you. God is concerned about health on all of these levels. And yet I feel like much of culture is designed to break down um, some of these areas of health within our, with our own lives. And so the question is, well, how can we, how can we engage culture without being influenced um, by it? So let's continue to read in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Well, that sounds nice of them, right? They're eating well. Um, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen uh, were some from Judah. And this is the names Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 7, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, uh, the name Shadrach, to Mishael, the name Meshach, and to Azariah, the name Abednego. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And then God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. And uh, we'll get into that story here in a second. But uh, so, so my first point is that culture has an agenda uh, and that that agenda is often to pull us away from God. If you follow the trends of culture, you will not follow God. And so if you're going to follow God, you're going to have to recognize that that God is different than your culture, even a nice American culture, even a culture that was founded perhaps on, uh, you know, on, on godly principles, Judeo-Christian value systems. Uh, we are not that culture anymore. We uh, This culture is trying to pull us away from God. So that's point number one. Point number two is the way that culture does this, the way the culture pulls us away from God is, one, it trains us in, in its own language and literature, right? And so what are you consuming? What, what literature are you consuming the most of? Is it more of the literature of this culture, um, pop culture or modern culture? Is it more liter is, is Netflix literature more in front of you than, than biblical literature? So that's, that's one good question. But the second way that culture influences us is right here. It says that he gave them new names. So the issue of your identity is so important. Where do you draw your identity from? How do you determine who you are? How do you think about yourself? It's so interesting that they brought they bring Daniel and his friends into the system and they they say, look, we're going to train you in the literature and language. Not just that, but we're also going to change your name. We're going to change what you call yourself. Hmm. We're going to change what we call you. And we are going to re- 
identify you. We're going to give you new names. We're going to give you a new identity. And I know that uh, a name is is powerful. Uh, a name has to do with your identity. And yet, <clears throat> many of us are not living up to the identity that God has given us. We're instead living with the label that culture has given us. And so I want just a minute. One, one, one thing that uh, Chris Hodges does in, I think it's chapter one or two of his book, is he, is he deals with these names. He looks at these names. And so um, if we can, uh, have, we should have a slide that uh, has each name. And this is going to be important for you to be able to read this for yourself. I'll try to read it slowly just so you can understand. But the first, um, let's, let's look at Daniel's name first. So the name Daniel uh, that he was given at birth and that he had as a, as a, as a, a member of, of the community of God's people is Daniel, which means God is my judge. All right. Well, the name he was given is Belteshazzar, which means lady protect the king. Uh, literally he was given a woman's name. He was given a name that means lady protect the king. And in every, every secular culture, every godless culture, you're going to find confusion around this right here, this area of gender and sexuality. You're going to find a reversal of God's uh, roles that he's given. You're going to find a perversion <laughs> of a personal identity around a gender that God's given that's awesome. God uh, created Daniel with a particular gender and his culture in order to try to, and, and remember, this is not about anything other than oppression. This is not about anything other than slavery. The enemy is not interested in Daniel's health. He's not interested in his mental health. He's interested in keeping him enslaved. And so one of the things that he's doing is he's sowing confusion with regard to his gender. He says, look, they gave him a girl name. And man, if you don't think that's not happening today, there is so much confusion around gender and sexuality. There's so much confusion about how even to decide or decipher what, what, what is the gender that God has given me. And so, um, man, uh, this is, this is, this is classic, right? I read this and I said, well, this is exactly what's happening right now. There's so much questions being thrown at you. And we don't know, uh, much about Daniel, especially up, up until this point. Uh, we don't know, uh, much about him at all, but we do see the pattern of the enemy that he comes and takes somebody who says, God is my judge. Right. And that's that's what his name means. That's what he was created to be, was somebody who relied on the judgment of God, relied on the justice of God to now uh, a place where his culture is trying to get him to question his gender. And so here in 2022, man, I I believe I believe that we can do that. We can have a balance. I believe that we can have a God-given sense of our own gender and yet not go around judging everybody else and telling them all that they're going to hell if they don't agree with us. I believe that we can have both the truth of an understanding of God's version of gender as well as the grace to love those people who 
who, like this culture right here, are living in confusion. They're living in absolute confusion. And yet Daniel can remain, not that he's the judge, but that God is the judge. And part of the way that I think really we, we, we ought to do that, and this is something we've been talking to Pastor Eddie and um, our, our kids' ministry, is one, man, I really want us to educate our kids um, in what God says about gender. I want us to have some, some curriculum, which we haven't been able to find. If you know of any good Christian curriculum out there for kids, uh, elementary age kids, with regard to biblical a biblical view of gender, um, pass it on to us. Let us know. We've been looking. Uh, we cannot find it. So we're just going to write our own, I guess. I don't know. Bible uh, because I think it's important. I think it's powerful, uh, the, and it's so valuable. God places such value on the male gender, and he also places such value on the female gender. Both male and female were created in his image, and they are beautiful, and they're valuable in their own way. And it's important that we understand that, we celebrate that, and we look for um, God's vision of this. So anyway, I don't know if we'll get too far into that. But if you're watching this today, and if you're dealing with some of that confusion, if somebody put a label on you when you were 17 years old, I don't know how old, exactly how old Daniel is here, or how old you were whenever culture tried to confuse you, but I, I want you to know that there's hope for you. You don't have to live with that label. You don't have to live with what culture says about you. You can, you can accept the God-given identity about your gender and about your sexuality. And you can celebrate that. And that is an awesome thing. <laughs> you can rejoice in that. And you can, you, you, can, you can rest in that. And so, man, the, the enemy is sowing confusion, but God is bringing clarity into your life. And so, uh, yeah, I want you to know there's hope for you. And then Hananiah. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. But his name was changed to Shadrach. Shadrach means I am fearful of God. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Hananiah means Yahweh. And that, that word Yahweh, that's a, uh, that's a relational term with God, right? Yahweh is not the same word as Jehovah. Jehovah is is the name given to God as the you know Yah, Elohim, right? Uh, it's 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 he's 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 the the Creator God. He's the the far out there, the powerful God. But the word the name Yahweh is more of the personal um, relational name that 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 Hebrews would use when they were talking about their personal relationship with God. And here Hananiah, his name means Yahweh has been gracious. And yet they renamed him, I am fearful of God. Man, if that's not <laughs> if that's not the case, I'm telling you, culture will tell you that because of your sin, that because of your past, that because of what you've done, you really ought to be fearful of God. You ought to run away from God when you fail instead of running to God. But man, nothing could be further from the truth. Yahweh has been gracious. Your personal God is full of grace for you. He's full of forgiveness for you. He's full of redemption for you. And yet if we follow culture, if we listen to that we ought to be fearful of God. 
that God is out to judge us, that he's out to bring justice, which means our punishment. That somehow he, he, he wants to punish us still, even though, even though we've already been through so much. But the truth is Yahweh has been gracious. He has provided a way of escape from every sin. He's provided his son to die on the cross for us to cleanse us from all sin. So, man, uh, Yahweh has been gracious. He Now he says, I'm fearful of God. Mishael means what is or who is what God is. <laughs> In other words, who like who is what God is? Who could be? I mean, listen to the confidence in the name Mishael. He was named after a complete confidence in God. Who is what God is? But Meshach, the name that Mishael was given, means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. <laughs> Do you see that? You go from complete confidence in God to complete lack of confidence in yourself. Questioning, wondering, am, am I worthy? Full of shame, full of uh, he says, I am humiliated, I am despised, I am contemptible. That's what his new name means. The name that culture tried to put on him. <laughs> Azariah means Yahweh has helped. Uh, but Abednego means a servant of Nebo. Do you see that? On the one hand, Yahweh, this personal God, has been my help, has been my strength, has been my fortress, has been the reason that I'm making it through. But now he's changed to Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo. Nebo is a particular guy. You, you go from relying on the help of God to serving, to becoming a servant of humans, becoming a servant of people's opinions, becoming uh, a people pleaser because you believe that, 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 that people hold for you, their approval holds for you your help. And yet God intended for Azariah to stand and say, the Lord, Yahweh has been my help. God is my fortress. He is my strength. He is the one who's helping me make it through this year. I don't, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it, it's, it's not that it's like, I don't need people. I, I'm fine. No, it, it, it's about that. I'm not serving the opinions of people. I am, I am relying on the help of God. And there's a big difference there. Such a big difference in culture. So we see a couple of things that culture does with their names. Number one, it, it inverts, it flips what their, what their true identity is. Their true identity, each one of these, uh, Daniel, God is my judge. Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious. Mishael, who is what God is. Azariah, Yahweh has helped. Notice that their names initially their names were all pointed upward. They're all pointed vertically. They're all something about God, right? Azariah, Yahweh has helped. Mishael, who is what God is? Uh, Hananiah, Yahweh has been gracious. Daniel, God is the judge. All of these names are, are, reflect, are a reflection of who God is. And that's what our true identity is. Your identity and my identity is supposed to reflect the reality of the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the justice of God, the graciousness of God. All of these names are reflecting different aspects of the character of God, and that's what our true identity is. But culture inverts that. It, it takes our, our identity and it shifts the focus of it so that we're no longer here to lift up 
the name that is above every name, so that we're no longer here to elevate him. Now, all of these names, look, uh, Belshazzar is lady, protect the king. Shadrach, I am fearful of God. Meshach, I am despised. Abednego, I am a servant of Nebo. Notice how the focus shifts from God to I. <laughs> and this is what culture wants us to do. Wants us to take our eyes off of God and shift our focus to ourselves. And not only to ourselves, but to the very uh, worst parts of ourselves, the negative parts of ourselves, the part of ourselves that is broken, the part of ourselves that is that is not complete. Man, and if you're watching this today, I just, gosh, I just sense that God is calling you and he's calling me. He's calling us as a church to a higher level of thinking. You're never going to find out your identity simply by looking at yourself. <laughs> you're never going to find out who you are by asking, who am I? You're never going <laughs> to, and that's the trick of it, right? Because because as long as culture can keep you looking at yourself, you will never discover yourself. Because who we're created to be is reflection, is a reflection of the God who created us. And so many issues, so many times culture will put a label on us based on our based on our past. Uh, I remember one guy uh, in our church years ago, uh, he had a, uh, I guess he kind of had a blow up. He was uh, uh, meeting somebody, I think it was a business meeting or something. And um, they made reference to his tattoos that they look like um, prison tattoos. And uh, he got offended by that and um, uh, left, you know, just, and I was talking to, to them after this and, and, um, and I, it's, it's been a few years, but I, I seem to remember that they were actually, I think they were actually prison tattoos. And um, I said, well, why don't, I mean, if they are prison tattoos, why not just say, yeah, these are, these are prison tattoos. And they said, well, because when you've been to prison, people don't trust you. When you've been to prison, people think that you're untrustworthy. People think that you, and, and they, they just listed all this stuff that people think about you if you've been to prison. And it's so interesting. We allow, like you can be saved and trusting Jesus and you can be forgiven of your past. And yet if you still hold to Babylon's label about your past, you haven't really laid your past down at the feet of Jesus. The truth is, I mean, okay, maybe culture does have this to say about people who have been in prison and have prison tattoos. But is that what God says about you? Is that the truth? Is that your identity? stop accepting the labels like like culture has such a way of labeling us based on what we've done based on what has happened to us in the past right you like you are more than what has happened to you you are more than what you've done you're more if you can take your past and you can truly lay that at the feet of jesus and you can say, I'm not going to be labeled by that. I'm not going to find my identity in this. I'm going to find my identity in you. I'm going to find the reality. Like, what is the, the truth about God from your past? And this is where Paul, uh, you know, who was previously named Saul, he said, once I figured out, once I figured out that, that his strength is perfected in my weaknesses, I, he said, man, I, I was more quick to glory in my past, in my weaknesses. I was more quick 
quick to glory in my past mistakes because I realized that God had been gracious to me. What does he say? That, uh, that Christ died for sinners, of whom I'm the number one chief, right? He said, I can, I can lift up the name of Jesus because of my past. Because my past doesn't... See, we, we, we get defensive about our past when, it's, when we feel like it still defines us. When we feel like it still labels us. Man, if you want the label, God, go back to the manufacturer. You know what I'm saying? Like, only God knows what is inside of you because God created you. Only God knows your real name. And so, man, let this be the year. Let 2022 be the year where you let go of culture's labels, where you let go of Babylonian thinking with regard to your past, with regard to your skin color, (laughs) with regard to what has happened to you, right? Like... you're, you're more than what's happened to you. You're more than uh, the, the, what, what, like, you know, the, the victim. Like, you're more than that. That's not your identity. Sure, it may have happened to you, but can you lay it down at the feet of Jesus? And can you allow Jesus to define you? Can you allow Jesus to tell you who he says that you are? Man, I pray that over this month, that we just lay down labels, that we just set aside things that we have believed about ourselves. It's, it's, it's amazing how we stay in bondage. Remember, that's the whole point of Babylon, is to keep you in bondage, keep you in check, right? That's the whole point. That's what Satan wants to do. That's, that's the whole point of the gender confusion. That's the whole point of the, of the different names and the labels is to keep you in check. And it keeps us from freedom. It really does. As we hold on to these labels and we hold on and we identify ourselves and we agree, we come into agreement with Babylon about who we are instead of coming into agreement with God. It totally messes us up, and we end up working for the wrong things, pursuing the wrong things, spending our time on the wrong things, becoming discouraged by the wrong things, becoming encouraged by the wrong things. Man, I just pray that we lay some stuff down. In fact, gosh, maybe even as I talk some of these names, maybe some of these names you say, yeah, that's that's me. That's what rolls around in my head all the time. I am despised. I am contemptible. I am humiliated. I am fearful of God. I am a servant of other people's opinions. And if that's you, there's freedom for you. There's freedom for you. And so, like, I, I maybe just stop listening to me right now and go click on that Zoom link. Because hearing from Harry is not going to help you. you got to hear from God. Hearing from God is what shifts things. Hearing from God is what gives confidence. Hearing from God is what changes my identity on the inside. So click on that Zoom link. Let's, let's pray together. Let's, let's, let's agree in prayer and, and, and let's hear from God. If we keep going in this passage, I'm getting ready to wrap up. But I, I do want to look at what Daniel does. And notice how Daniel never refers to himself as the name that they gave him. Um, throughout the book of Daniel, he, he sticks with 
his God-given identity. I love that. It says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. You want a New Year's resolution? There it is. <laughs> Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Now, the reason why the word defile is used there is because <clears throat> is because even though they're they're getting fed well, royal food and wine from the king's table, right? The best stuff in all of Babylon. Uh, the truth is, a lot of this stuff did not line up with the Hebrews' dietary restrictions. So God had made um, laws around what they could and couldn't eat. Um, thankfully, those those don't uh, apply anymore. We can have bacon now. Hallelujah. Um, but back in those days, this was a part of being a child of God, was following the dietary restrictions that Moses had given. And so Daniel said, man... Even though this is really nice food, yet for me to eat this, this is going to defile me, or uh, the word defile means to pollute, right? And so it's it's not it's it, 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 he says I I don't want to like pollute like add add harmful things to the atmosphere. <laughs> That's what pollution is. He says so he did he resolved in himself he wasn't going to add harmful things to his spiritual atmosphere sometimes uh physical niceties or physical comforts can lead to spiritual compromise and this is what daniel decided he said look the food's great and i appreciate it but this is not good for me Right, and so he asked, and and I love how he goes about this. He asks permission from the chief official. So he's he's not belligerent about it. He's not like, well, you all are going to hell because you're eating this nasty stuff. He's not belligerent about it. He asks permission uh, from the chief official not to file himself in this way, and God gave him favor and compassion. Right, but the official told Daniel in verse ten, "I'm afraid of the Lord, my King." who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. But Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to test them for 10 days. This is the first, by the way, of multiple tests that that Daniel um, and his friends go through. And I think, and I think that this, this is another point for us to understand, that as we live in a culture that is trying to relabel us, that as we live in a culture that's, that is designed by nature to pull us away from God, to distract us from the real and from the important, um, that there are going to be different tests. And I think this is one way, actually, this is one awesome way for us to live in the culture, but not of the culture. And that is, Daniel said, test me. And he didn't say, test me by like, give me a written exam or um, ask me to prove my point logically, right? That's not the test. The test is Daniel's life. He said, look, test me. Let me eat uh, vegetables and water for 10 days 
and you guys keep eating what you're eating and then use your eyes and look at my life look at my attitude he's openly just saying look at my look at my attitude look at how look at my work ethic <laughs> look at what time i show up for work in the morning and what time i clock out look at look at just look at my life and this is one of the great tests I think that uh, culture is engaging all of us in. They're looking at our lives. And oftentimes what they see is not, uh, <laughs> is not, is not what Daniel um, displays. Daniel um, goes on this fast for 10 days. Well, we would call it a fast. Um, for him, it's just simply eating the way that God had directed them to eat. And after the 10 days, uh, the Bible said that he, that he and his friends looked better than the other ones, that they had a better attitude, a better disposition, more energy, all of that kind of thing. They're more cheerful. They were more uh, faithful in their work. Like, and, and, so, and so, his, so the servant ends up saying, okay, well, you can go ahead and eat what you guys eat. And um, so really what's happening in here is Daniel's pulling away from the norm uh, in order to devote himself to God. And that's what we're going to do here in January. Today's January 2nd. Um, next Sunday, we're starting 21 days of that we've started since, uh, since we started the church. We've done this every January. And um, the purpose is this, this very thing right here, that we want to start off the year and resolve ourselves not to defile ourselves or not to allow pollution into our lives. And one of the ways to do that is to step back from the usual stuff that we normally eat. Not that there's anything wrong uh, with what we normally eat. You know, there's nothing sinful about pizza. Um, I don't think. Uh, Ro might disagree, but... Um, there's, you know, this, the stuff that we enjoy, uh, ice cream and sugar and coffee, right? There's nothing necessarily wrong about these things. But, man, if you, if you want, if you want to take the next step in your walk with God, oftentimes it requires you to step out of what you normally do and make a shift, right? Make a, a more decisive decision. And that's what these 21 days are all about. And we're not starting this week, but I want you to pray about and I want you to ask God about what he would have you to fast. Um, for me, uh, I'm going to do the what, what's called the Daniel fast, which is um, not necessarily what's listed here in chapter one. It's actually uh, a little bit further in the book of Daniel, but it's very similar to this, actually. Uh, vegetables and water. And that's, that's uh, very similar um, to what is known as the Daniel fast. And what I've noticed, this is coming up, gosh, we've been a church, this will be seven years. This is our seventh birthday. Um, what I've noticed is that every time I do this fast or some similar fast to this, um, it just gives such a reset, that's, that's Poppy's word, but it gives such a reset to my spiritual life that sometimes uh, physical uh, separation a physical disengagement from culture uh, helps create spiritual clarity. And it is a disengagement because when you, 
Okay, so let's, let's just say that you decide to do this. You decide to fast, uh, uh, and you do a Daniel fast starting January 9th, right, through January 30th for 21 days. You join us, and basically, no more coffee, no more sugar. You just kind of eat vegetables and um, some rice, you know. And um, you're going to find that it's going to stick out to you how much of your life is around food. How much of celebration, right? Like um, birthdays, uh, anything good that happens on the job, uh, anything good that's happening in the life in general, let's go out to eat. Yeah, uh, you're probably not going to go out to eat as much. You're going to save money. <laughs> that's good. Uh, but you're also going to find that it, it, it disengages you. It separates you. Um, I, I'm kind of been a Starbucks uh, fanatic, and so I... I'm a gold member at Starbucks, and so I have a lot of um, a lot of Starbucks points. Let's put it that way. And man, every January they they really try to get you into the habit. Is so interesting culture that they understand that there's money in getting you into the habit of having Starbucks every day, and so they give you these extra stars and points and stuff for going like every day or three days in a row or four days in a row or something like that. And uh, every January, though, I you know I just take a time out. And uh, everybody at Starbucks down the road, they, they all know my name. And um, it's it's so funny because, you know, at the end of January, I'll come in and they'll be like, we haven't seen you in like a long time. What's going on? And that gives me an opportunity to say, well, I set aside these 21 days um, for God. I set aside these this time. Not not this coffee is bad, but I I, I, I I get rid of pollution out of my system and out of my life and out of my habits and out of my daily routine I just totally uh, I take January and I set it aside for God and I allow God to speak to me and I allow myself to seek God in ways that I, maybe I, I wasn't seeking him in December and in November um, and so that's what that's what Daniel does here right he says all right we're, we're not going to participate uh, with culture in this activity even though the activity is not necessarily um, evil right it's not nearly as evil as much of the other things that were going on in babylon but he decides to pull back there he, he decides to draw the line there and i believe that god's calling us as a church to draw the line there as well um because for many of us you know i'm talking about finding our our identity in christ well, how do, how do how do i do that how do i find my identity in christ how do i let go of the labels of culture well you have to get close to christ Honestly, you have to get so close to him that you hear him speaking to you. You have to get so quiet. You have to quiet all the other voices in your life that you can actually hear him speaking to you. Um, and, 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 and it's so important because if we simply try to uh, uh, reject the cultural labels and, and, and receive the word of God for us without intimacy with God, it's never going to work. And, and and you see this, you see this with Christians all the time that, that really get militant about it, you know. And um, what happens is, and I like the quote that, that, that Chris Hodges has in, in, in his book. He says, he says, truth without grace, which is what a lot of Christians try to do, right? It's like we're holding on to the truth of Scripture and we're holding fast and everybody else is wrong and we're right. Bless God. Truth without grace is mean. I like that. 
How many of you know some mean Christians? How many of you have been a mean Christian? Um, truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth, yes. But truth and grace together is medicine. And that's what John 1.14 says about Jesus, that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And so for us, over the next few weeks, I really want us as a church to not just like say, well, we're right and our culture's wrong. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, you might be right, but God didn't call us to be right. He called us to be righteous. Righteous means that I'm right in my heart. I'm not right in my head. I haven't argued my way to a place of rightness. I have submitted my way before Christ to a place of brokenness before him. And so before we can shout the truth from the mountaintops, we have to whisper the truth to our own heart. And this comes by setting aside time and connecting with God. We must be full of the Holy Spirit. We must be full of the spirit of grace and truth. Because without the Spirit of Christ working within us, we do. We tend to, toward one or the other. Either we go full-on truth with no grace, right? And we become judgmental. We become judgmental of others and of ourselves, right? We, we never measure up and neither does anybody else. Or we, we swing the pendulum in the other direction. We're just all grace, and uh, we want to rewrite the Bible and cut different parts out because it's no longer socially palatable. Uh, and it's like, well, God just accepts everybody and everything is okay. And, and we become full on grace. And out of a desire to, to have compassion for people, we end up, you know, telling them that sin is all right. But no, we need truth. Truth is what, is what defeats sin in our life. Truth helps us get rid of this stuff that is offensive to the Holy Spirit. But grace, we need grace also. Grace is what comes in and says, hey, there's the power of God. No matter where you are, the power of God is available to you to help you be better, to be different, to be new again. You need both truth and grace. You need the spirit of Christ that uh, on the one hand looked at the uh, woman caught in adultery, right? And said, well, let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. That's grace. That's recognizing uh, that, uh, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's grace. But then it's also truth because then he looks at this woman and he says, hey, uh, where are your accusers? She says, well, they're not around me. And uh, he says, neither do I condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more. He just said, let the one who's without sin cast the first stone. And then he says, okay, here's the truth. You need to go leave your life of sin. You need to be different. You need to change. And so the, the mixture, the perfect Jesus is the perfect example of grace and truth. He said, well, yes, how can I do that? How can I walk in my culture with grace and truth? How can I have grace and compassion for people and yet still hold on to biblical truth and share those truths in a way that's effective and helpful? Right? How can I train my kids to be in culture but not of culture? How can I train them to be to be to be uh, surrounded by culture but not affected by culture? Right? Not isolated but insulated. <laughs> how can I how can I help my kids go to school and listen to some of the the Babylon's views on stuff 
and still hold to the truth of God's views on things? Well, it starts with accepting the truth in here. It starts with saying, I'm not going to defile myself. It starts by saying, I'm going to get close to God. I'm going to be so full of the Spirit of God that when uh, culture tries to push me and pull me in different directions, I am standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And so that's my altar call for you today, is to pray about how you would join us over the 21 days. Now, we're not starting this week. We're not starting today. We're starting next Sunday, uh, January 9th. All right, we're giving you guys a whole week uh, to eat all the chocolate in your house. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, but no, but to, to spend some time in prayer and say, God, what, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to connect with you? And um, uh, we're going to have various ways for you to connect. Uh, we're we're going to be going uh, live on Facebook um, every day, sharing different devotionals, helping to direct your mind and direct your attention, your focus toward God. Um, we're also going to have special Wednesday night worship services, which, by the way, we're going to have our first Wednesday night worship service this coming Wednesday. So um, that'll be in person at the church. Um, and so I'd encourage you to join us for that. But we're also going to have special targeted prayer um, services throughout um, January on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock where we're going to have a worship team and, and I'm going to bring and different ones are going to bring different words. And then we're going to pray around particular prayer focuses. And so we really want you to join us. There's going to be child care in these, in, at these events so that um, you can uh, bring your kids and and, uh, and older kids can come in and pray with us, too. Uh, we'd encourage uh, you guys to do that. Um, but then also, daily, there's going to be prayer. Um, the plan was to be in person daily. We're going to be watching COVID and see how that works out. Um, but uh, at least we're definitely going to get together in some way, some capacity, on a, on a daily Monday through Friday, a daily basis, um, to join together and to pray. And I've seen people who make that decision, who say, I'm going to fast, I'm going to give up something, and I, to, in order to get closer to God, I'm going to remove some of the pollution. Because, some, man, some of this food, it really is polluting our minds. Uh, and the, we have some really interesting testimonies about physically people doing, uh, getting, uh, having, receiving healing physically um, when they got rid of some sugar pollution and different things. And, and their minds are clearer and they have more uh, focus. Um, so some of this food is polluting us, but also just the routine can be pollution. And so just removing some of that routine in order to spend time with God here in January, that's my focus for this January. And I, and I want you to join with me because um, I've seen people that do that. It sets the rest of the year up in the right way. It starts the year off right for them. And it's incredible what God might do um, when we get close to him and uh, choose to do that. So, Father, right now I pray that you would um, minister to your people. I pray that you would open up our, our hearts to hear from you, open up our minds. Lord, these labels that the world has placed on us, uh, pray that you would begin to identify them. Sometimes it's just we, we just believe it's who we are. It's been so long since we've been anything else. Uh, Lord, would you begin to break down the lies of the enemy? begin to break down the things that we've believed that are not true. Uh, help us to see the, the actually the difference. Some, some of us just need to see the difference between your word and culture. 
We have so married the two, and yet we don't know your word. And so, Lord, may we, may we commit, may, may this month be a, a commitment to actually get into your word, uh, either through daily prayer uh, with others or just simply opening up your word and saying, God, I'm going to read this today and I want to hear from you. Father, I thank you for your love, for your graciousness to, to us, for your faithfulness to us, and for what you're doing uh, in this body and all around the world. You are church. The gates of hell cannot stand against it. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us today.